Well, welcome church. Welcome to those of you who are online. Thank you for checking out this service. I want to encourage you to stay engaged and chat and let someone know you're watching online. Um, we, I want to say welcome to some people that are online. Welcome to those of you who are in Amarillo and San Antonio and Nebraska. And we have some Kansas out there. We have some California out there. Thank you for watching us. We are so humbled and grateful that you were that you were there, that you were watching. And uh, welcome to everyone in-house as well. So, so this week, I went to the eye doctor. Um, my wife is really good at sending me to the doctors and giving me Jesus pills and all kinds of stuff. And, uh, but uh, I went to the doctor and, uh, to check on my eyes. I thought I might need a new prescription or something like that. And um, when it's really a weird experience for me to go to the doctors because they always, seems like they're always fascinated with the fact that I'm colorblind. I told the gal I was colorblind, and she said, oh, really? And she gives me this book with a bunch of dots, and she wants me to look at, I, I was like, I, I looked at the first page, it was like page number 12, and then I flipped the, she flipped the page, and it was just a bunch of dots, and then she flipped another page, it was just dots, and then she flipped another page, and she was dots, and I felt like, are you entertained? Are you enjoying this? You know, it's just like, this is not fun, you're a bully, <laughs> this is not fun at all. So eventually, I get to the, I, I get to the, to, to after I see the doctor and good experience, they dilated my eyes and all that stuff. So anyway, I, I, I see the optometrist, the person who orders glasses and all that kind of stuff, and I'm talking to them, and I said, I don't think I wanna get glasses, but I'm, I'm having a conversation with her, and, um, and Grace calls me in that moment, I believe that was who it was, so I'm talking to Grace on the phone, and I'm dealing with this optometrist, and, and, and we're talking, you know, small talk kind of thing about family and stuff like that. And then I, I hang up on the phone with Grace, and I said, oh, that was my wife. And then she says, oh, yeah, Grace is so sweet. And then I looked at her, and I thought, how does she know Grace is sweet? That was weird. And I thought, well, she is sweet. I agree with that. And I'm not sure. Anyway, so I kept going on in the conversation, and, and I, I, I tell her, I don't know if I'll be able to, you know, the glasses are so expensive. And, and I said, I just bought a mountain bike, and I'm having a lot of fun with it, and I'm putting money into the mountain bike. And she's nodding her head. She says, well, you're having fun riding your trails. And I thought that was a weird comment too. I don't know why she said it quite like that. So then I just kept talking and kept talking and kept talking. And then towards the end, she's filling everything out. She says, okay, Pastor Ruben, uh, this is all you need. And then I, nowhere on any application does it say pastor on it. Nowhere on any form does it say pastor. And I, I, I stopped and I, of course, my eyes are dilated. So this probably doesn't help my comprehension. And I, I asked her, um, did you say Pastor Ruben? And she says, yes, I go to your church. And I said, oh, yeah. And she said, I'll, I'll see you on Sunday. And I said, oh, great. And, I, and in my mind, I was thinking, did I say anything that I shouldn't have said? Was everything okay? And it was. And she was so gracious to, to, my, to, to my defense. She was wearing a mask. And I was wearing a mask. And I didn't fully, completely recognize her. But, uh, you know, relationships can be complicated. You know that? Relationships can be complicated. Have you ever had a relationship where people would get their feelings hurt and, and 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 all of a sudden it's just like this random thing and you think okay now they're gonna like like give you the silent treatment for hours or days or weeks and you're thinking what in the world happened relationships are complicated very much so can be a work relationships can be complicated right work relationships there are certain people we work with that we don't like certain people that get under our skin, whatever it is. Or friendships can be complicated. You know, that there's all kinds of issues with friends. And, and of course, marriage relationships can be complicated. You know, why is it that relationships are complicated? I think part of the reason is we, uh, 
you think about it, we have two different souls, two different lives, and each has experiences, painful experiences and joyful experiences. Each has hurts and wounds. Um, each has a certain type of personality. Each has their own you know, hiccups, whatever it might be. Each has their own expectations, right? Everyone has expectations, verbal and nonverbal and, and all kinds of expectations. And, and then when you bring, and they each have their own influences. And when you bring these two personalities together in a relationship as a friend or a working situation or in a marriage, I mean, it, it's just a challenge. When you start doing life with someone on a regular basis, it can be a real challenge. I'm grateful that God works in complicated relationships, aren't you? The message series we're in is called Micro-Influencers, and we've been looking at uh, different uh, lesser-known personalities in Scripture, and today we're looking at this guy named Joab. There he is. He's over here. Joab. Uh, this is a good picture of Joab right here because Joab is a warrior. He is a warrior. How many of you have ever heard of Joab? Raise your hand if you've ever heard of Joab. All right, quite a few of you. Um, he might be more of the well-known guys, but Joab is a complicated guy in a complicated relationship with his uncle, Uncle David, as in King David. And that's the relationship he has. He's one of three brothers. He's the middle brother. Okay, so how many middle siblings are out here? Any, any middle siblings? You're in the in-between? That, that was Joab. He's the middle. His brothers were Abishai, who was the oldest, and Asahel, who's the youngest. Asahel, he could run. That guy could run like a gazelle. That guy, he was really fast and actually lost his life because of it. Uh, their mother, Zariah, was the sister of David. So that's the connection there. Uh, the David is his uh, sister is Uriah, who's is Joab's mom. Um, so Joab was David's nephew. You need to know Joab was extremely strong and ambitious. Um, these three guys were part of David's famous mighty men. That's who they were. Incredible, incredible, incredible men. It's likely that Joab was a bit younger than Uncle David. Because when Uncle David gets to be right around 80 years old, Joab is still really involved in the politics. So we could assume he is younger. We just don't know how much younger he is. So he comes out on the scene in 1 Chronicles chapter 11, verse 6. It says, David had said to his troops, whoever is first to attack the Jebusites will become the commander of my armies. And Joab, everybody say Joab with me. The son of David's sister, Zariah, that's who he is, was first to attack. So he became the commander of David's armies. So that's the way Joab got the job. David said, all right, whoever can attack first and whoever is, is the first one to, to be victorious, that's the guy that's going to be my commander, that's going to lead my troops, and that was Joab. In fact, this particular victory... It was through this victory that Jerusalem became known as the city of David. That's this victory right here. And it was at the hand of Joab. It was at the hand of Joab. So it is complicated uh, between this relationship with David and, and Joab. It's extremely complicated. Um, David depended on Joab even while he felt powerless 
to be able to control him. They grew up together. They were in exile together, and together they carved out this empire. In fact, when you look at the life of David, he spent uh, he 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 reigned for about forty years, and you see a lot of victory victories behind that. And Joab was the commander who was in charge. An incredible statistic. Joab never lost a battle. He never lost a battle, undefeated. So he was a guy who was just a man's man. And this is a guy who knew how to fight. He was a warrior, but he was also a different kind of guy. Have you ever had a friend that you did not completely trust? You ever have a relationship like that? Maybe you work with them, or maybe you're friends with them, or whatever it is. Someone that is, you have a relationship, and they're friends with you, but you know who they really are on the inside. You know what they're capable of doing. In fact, many times you maybe have heard them talk about what they did to someone else. And you register that in your head, and you're thinking, well, if they did that to someone else... They can do it to me. Or they they cheated on someone, or they lied to someone, or they stole, or they were unfaithful, whatever it is. And you see that side of them, and and, and the, the naive person will think, oh, that will never happen to me. That's being naive. The wise person knows if it happened over there, it could happen over here. And there's those relationships that we have that are complicated, and we have leverage with them and we need them but we know we're not going to you know kiss them with our eyes closed you know what i'm saying you're not going to you just know who they really are that was the relationship between david and joab david david needed joab but joab he was uh, he was a sly guy he was always looking out for himself I think there's a lot of things we can learn from this relationship between Joab and David. And I want to share with you some Joab lessons, all right? There's five of them, Joab lessons. Because sometimes the best example is the, 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 the person who's been the worst example, right? Because you can learn what you don't want to do. Uh, sometimes the best example is that negative one. And that's certainly Joab in a lot of, lot of different ways. So a little backdrop here. Um, Abner, a guy named Abner, was the commander of Saul's army. Abner, A-B-N-E-R, commander of Saul's army. So King Saul is, is dead, and uh, Saul, uh, there's a new king on the block named Ishbosheth. Every pastor loves to pronounce that name, Ishbosheth. He's now the king of the northern Israel, and the southern Israel, Judah, it's Joab. So you have these two different powerhouses. Two different commanders, you have Abner and Joab, and one day they come together accidentally, maybe. Second Samuel chapter 2, verse 12 says this. One day Abner led Ishbosheth's troops from Mahanaim to Gibeon. About the same time, Joab, son of Zariah, led David's troops out and met them at the pool of Gibeon. The two groups sat down there facing each other from opposite sides of the pool. Now, this is one of those happenstance meetings. It's kind of like when you go to the grocery store, there might be one person or maybe two people in your life that you have history with, 
and you're okay not running into them at the grocery store. You know what I'm talking about? You don't want to be buying eggs while they're buying eggs. You don't, you're okay not sitting across the table at Thanksgiving with them in front of you. You know, that person who's hurt you, that person who has history, that person who has, you still are recovering from the wounds, that person where there's, you know, all kinds of things between, and you don't really want to be face-to-face with that person. You know what I'm talking about? You got it in your head? That's what's happening here. David and this guy Abner find themselves at opposite sides of this body of water, and they're staring each other down. So in some ways, these guys are just like boys with toys. And they're, they're looking at each other, and they're sizing each other up. Verse 14 says, Then Abner suggested to Joab, Let's have a few of our warriors fight hand-to-hand here in front of us. All right, Joab agreed. Now, now this is getting dangerous. Have you ever, like, like, just playfully wrestled with someone? And it went from playful to all out, you know, bloody nose or something like that. And you're thinking, what happened with this thing? Or you know, playful, you know, you know, bantering with someone with some words and the other person gets angry and all of a sudden you're thinking, I thought we were playing. Well, this situation right here, you see the way Abner, and it's Abner's suggestion. He says, let's just have a few of our warriors hand to hand. We're just going to spar with each other a little bit. And Joab said, I think that's a great idea. In verse 15, so 12 men were chosen. Oh, how many guys were there? There's just 12. 12 men were chosen to fight each other, fight each side. 12 men of Benjamin representing Ishbosheth, son of Saul, and 12 representing David. So who is bigger? Who is stronger? Each one grabbed his opponent by the hair and thrust his sword into the other side, so all of them died. Yeah. So this place at Gibeon has been known ever since as the field of swords. And look at this, verse 17. A fierce battle followed that day. And Abner and the men of Israel were defeated by the forces of David. So it went from, hey, what do you think we should spar a little bit? To 12 guys, 24 guys die. And now that day, a fierce battle happens. And there's a lot of bloodshed. In fact, when you keep reading this story, you find out the numbers. The tally is this. Joab had 19 men that were MIA, missing in action. 19 missing. But Abner's men, 360 men died. 360 men died. So clearly Joab won, right? But you have to see this with Joab. Joab was always looking for opportunities to flex his muscles. He was always looking for opportunities to let the other person know that he is stronger, that he is faster, that he is better. He was always looking for opportunities like that. And there's some of us who are like that, aren't we? We just kind of size each other up a little bit, want to know what do you do for a living and that kind of thing. For Joab, murder was acceptable as long as the enemy deserved it and advanced what he would call the good cause. If it advanced the good cause then murder was acceptable. And here's the first lesson, Joab lesson we get is this. Just because you're right doesn't mean you have license to do wrong. You hear that? Just because you were right doesn't mean you have license to do wrong. Just because you're right doesn't mean you need 
to, to exercise and flex your muscles and, and, and show everyone. Uh, sometimes the greatest thing you can do is be silent. That's an option, is to be silent. And, and sometimes that's what you need to do. But you need to, you need to be more concerned with your spiritual integrity, making sure you are pleasing God always. And just because you're right, don't, don't convince yourself, well, this one wrong will be overlooked because I am going for the greater cause. That's what Joab thought. When you keep reading this story, eventually Abner um, is chased down by one of, uh, one of Joab's brothers. And, um, and this guy's running, and apparently he's a really, really fast runner. And this is Asahel, and he's running after Abner. And Abner's, you know, he's a commander of the northern kingdom of Israel. I mean, this is another warrior. These are two powerhouses. And Abner is actually not as fast as Asahel. And, and Abner says, you better stop chasing me. I don't want to hurt you. And you see, you know, he's just running and running. And eventually Abner turns around and kills Joab's brother. Well, how do you think Joab took that? And really, it wasn't Abner's fault. You can claim it was self-defense because he, he warned him and said, leave me alone. But, uh, but, but Abner kills Joab's brother. And then when you read about this in 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 22, says then again, Abner shouted to him, get away from here. I don't want to kill you. And how could I ever face your brother Joab again? So everybody knew who Joab was. And the last thing you want to do is kill the brother of the big dog. You know, you do not want to kill that guy. And uh, that's exactly what happens. And, uh, and uh, his brother loses his life. And in the midst of all this, you see this backstory of David, King David, wanting to have peace. He wants peace with the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. He wants to bring everyone together. Well, Abner is a big part of that peace. So one day, Abner and David meet, and they have like a peace treaty meeting. And it's this olive branch that's extended between the two. And David meets with Abner and, and he's saying, hey, can we get along here and, and let's, let's, let's work this out, you know, kind of family members. Hey, family, hey, friend, let's work this out. That's where he's at. Well, Joab catches wind that David did this with his enemy, Abner. And Joab is not nearly excited about peace. Joab wants revenge. So what he does, Abner leaves, and Joab sends a message to Abner and says, hey, can you come back? I just want to have a quick meeting with you. And Abner, of course, has his defenses down, so to speak, because he had a great positive meeting with David. So he returns back, and verse, 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 27 says this, when Abner arrived back at Hebron, Joab took him aside at the gateway as if to speak with him privately. Like, hey, can we just, can you come over here? Let me just talk to you, you know, privately. But then he stabbed Abner in the stomach and killed him in revenge for killing his brother Asahel. See, Joab couldn't let go of things. Joab knew how to hold grudges. And I want you to hear this. Here's the second Joab lesson. Holding a grudge will deteriorate your character. It'll deteriorate your character. You might think it's harmless to hold a grudge, but it's not. It will be easier to hate, easier to gossip, easier to slander, easier to hurt back. And it's the devil's trick. 
The devil's trick is you could hold on to a grudge and still be a good person. It's really a devil's trick. Sometimes you have to let it go. I like what T.D. Jake says. He said, we cannot embrace God's forgiveness if we're so busy clinging to past wounds and nursing old grudges. You just can't do that. Well, how did David feel about Joab then? Verse 39, he says that David says, and even though I am the anointed king, these two sons of Zariah, Joab and Abishai, are too strong for me to control. So may the Lord repay these evil men for their evil deeds. You know, there are certain people, you know they're over the top, you know they're wrong, you know it, and you kind of give up on them and say, you know what, I've tried to talk to them, they don't listen. You know those people? I've tried to, get, I've, they're not, they're, I've tried to speak sense into them, and they don't listen. And in some ways, you say, kind of like David did with, with Joab, I, I've given up control. I've given up trying to help that person. That person doesn't want to be helped. They're out of control, and they're going to do whatever they want to do. And that's how David felt about Joab. David tolerated Joab. You know, when you allow someone to be in your life and you don't call them out, they will never get better, and you will get worse. When there's someone in your life and you know they have issues and you've just become exhausted and you no longer call them out on the things that they say or the things that they do and you just let them live in your life, they will never get better and you will get worse. It'll affect you. Second Samuel chapter 10, verse 11. Here's the next story that happens. Um, <clears throat> This is, you know, this is Joab. This is interesting. It tells you what kind of guy he is. He says, if the Arameans are too strong for me, then come over and help me, Joab told his brother. And if the Ammonites are too strong for you, I will come and help you. Be courageous. Let us fight bravely for our people and the cities of our God. And then what does Joab say? May the Lord's will be done. That's Joab talking. This is not David. Joab is saying this. So you see this side to Joab like he knows what he should be saying. Maybe you could make an argument that this is a guy who goes to church. This is a guy who knows what he should be saying and, and he says the right things. And Joab knew how to sound like a Christian. These are the worst churchgoers there are. The next time you read about Joab is he's in this famous story involving David and this woman named Bathsheba. The story is David stays home when kings go to war and he sees this beautiful woman and, and he sees her and he wants her and he sends a messenger to go get her. He ends up having sex with her and then she gets pregnant. The famous words when Bathsheba said, I am pregnant. And then David um, says, okay, what do I do now? And he thinks, oh, I know what to do. Second uh, Samuel chapter 11 says this. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. Then David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent him to David. So at this point, when you read about the story with Joab, it doesn't, there's no clue that Joab knows what happened. Joab's just getting an order from the king. I want you to send me Hittite, so, so, or send me Uriah. So he sends for Uriah, and Uriah goes home, and David then says, okay, this is what I gotta do. I gotta make sure this guy Uriah sleeps. 
with his wife. We got to make sure they have sex. So he, he helps him relax. He gives them some food. He gives them some, something to drink, some alcoholic beverages, trying to just, and Uriah is so full of integrity. He says, there's no way I could have sex with my wife while my brothers are at war. And he chooses not to have sex with his wife, which says a lot about Uriah, the kind of man he is. So then David gave this message here, verse 14. So the next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and gave it to Uriah to deliver. The letter instructed Joab, station Uriah on the front lines where the battle is fiercest, then pull back so that he will be killed. So Joab assigned Uriah to a spot close to the city wall where he knew the enemy's strongest men were fighting. Interesting, Joab is a military genius. He knows what's the strongest and what's the weakest area of troops and his enemies. That says a lot right there. Verse 17 says, And when the, mil- when the enemy soldiers came out of the city to fight, Uriah the Hittite was killed along with several other Israelite soldiers. Other people lost their lives. Then Joab sent a battle report to David. There's something about this relationship. David tolerated Joab, but he also knew Joab was the guy that would be willing to do the dirty work. You know what I mean? Joab was like the the mafia guy out of Chicago or something like that, out of New York. He's the guy that, you know what, I I don't, I'm going to make sure my hands are clean, so I'm going to send my pit bull, Joab, into that situation. And Joab's going to go, and he's going to take care of the situation for me. He knows what needs to happen, and he's going to be able to do it, and I don't have to worry about it. He's the, 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 you know, the hatchet man, and that's what, that's what he is. And here's number three, Joab lesson number three. Don't carry out what you know to be wrong. Just don't do it. Don't carry out what you know to be wrong. Under God's eyes, you can't say, well, it was the king's fault, or it was their fault, or his fault, the boss's fault, the friend's fault, anything else. God wants you to be responsible for your own decisions. You see this other side of Joab. You read about it in 2 Samuel chapter 12. Joab was in a fight and says, meanwhile, Joab was fighting against Rabbah, the capital of Ammon, and he captured the royal fortifications. Joab sent messengers to tell David, I have fought against Rabbah and captured its water supply. Now bring the rest of the army and capture the city. Otherwise, I will capture it and get credit for the victory. So Joab's interesting. Joab recognizes, you know what? I have to make sure that King David, my boss, looks good. When you look at the story, the life of Joab, never do you see any desire he has to be king. You never see Joab jostling to be a king. But what you do see is you see a really smart guy that knows his position and has influence. And he tells the king, come on over here. The enemies are about to be defeated. And I want to make sure you get the credit, David, not me. You see how strategic he is. He says, I want to make sure you get the credit for this for this victory, not me. See, Joab knew how to stroke eagles and he looked out for himself. In 2 Samuel chapter 14, it says, Joab realized how much the king longed to see Absalom. Verse 1. So he sent for a woman from Tekoa who had a reputation for great wisdom. This is an interesting story. Absalom is, is David's son. And, and Absalom committed murder. And, and David is now not talking to Absalom for a long time. And it's affecting, it's affecting David. And Joab 
can see David is downcasted. Joab can recognize David is not at a good place. So David plays reconciler. And he reaches out to Absalom and he says, come on back. And he brings him back and, and he in, in, incorporates this woman from Tekoa who had a reputation for great wisdom. And he said to her, pretend you're in mourning, wear mourning clothes and don't put on lotions. Act like a woman who has been mourning for the dead for a long time. Then go to the king and tell him the story I'm about to tell you. Then Joab told her what to say. So Joab tells this woman what to say to the king. And of course, King David says, you know what? You're right. I miss my son and it's been wrong for me. Bring my son back. So Absalom comes back. And when you keep reading this story, Absalom shows up in Jerusalem, but David doesn't see him for two years. They don't see each other at all. Eventually they see each other and there's, there's, and there's reconciliation and this kind of thing. But I want you to hear this. Lesson number four, God is never okay with you using people to advance your agenda. God is never okay with you using people to advance your agenda. Someone said this, what most people need to learn in life is how to love people and use things instead of using people and loving things. That's true. Sometimes we love our things more than our people. God's never okay with this. Eventually what happens is Absalom, he, he, uh, he, he attempts to become a king. And he actually, he actually uh, he betrays his own father. And Absalom uh, gains uh, approval and his rating goes up and he tries to become king and he becomes an enemy to his own father. And his own father, David, doesn't want to kill him because maybe it's his son. And he just, he just leaves. He becomes a fugitive again, like he did during the days of Saul. And eventually uh, Absalom was trying to take over and, and David had his soldiers and they eventually caught Absalom. And Absalom was actually had long hair. He was an incredible handsome guy from head to toe. And he was hanging on a tree branch and he was not dead yet. But Second Samuel chapter 18 says this, enough of the nonsense, Joab said. Then he took three daggers and plunged them into Absalom's heart as he dangled. Still alive in the great tree, Ten of Joab's young armor bearers then surrounded Absalom and killed him. Joab was there. And Joab took his dagger and three, three daggers and killed him. See, Joab was unpredictable. You just don't know what Joab would do. He could lose it any minute. Any minute he can lose it. See, Joab believed that he knew what was best more than David. David wanted him to live. And Joab said, you know what? This is not right. I, you know, the, my boss doesn't know what he's talking about. I need to take matters into my own hands. And then the last famous kill that Joab does says this in 2 Samuel chapter 20. says, while they were at the great rock in Gibeon, Amasah came to meet them. And Joab was wearing his military tunic and strapped over it, strapped over it at his waist was a belt with a dagger in its sheath. And he stepped forward and it dropped out of its sheath. Joab said to Amasah, how are you, my brother? Then Joab took Amasa by the beard with his right hand to kiss him. Amasa was not on his guard against the dagger in Joab's hand. And Joab plunged it into his belly and his intestines spilled out on the ground. Without being stabbed again, Amasa died. Then Joab and his brother Abishai pursued Sheba, son of, son of Bichri. See, Joab was jealous of his position, and he was ruthless in maintaining it. Here's the last one. Excessive ambition can make you blind to what's most important. There's nothing wrong with ambition. Ambition's a great thing. 
ambition's a great thing. But you can, you can become excessively ambitious and step on others and convince yourself that it's okay. Excessive ambition can make you more selfish, more self-centered, insensitive, stubborn, paranoid that someone else might be a threat. When you keep reading this story, it's really fascinating because David, he's, about, he's on his deathbed and he's about, to, he's about to pass everything on to his son, Solomon. And he tells this him. And there is something else. These are the words of David to his son Solomon. You know what Joab, son of Zariah, did to me when he murdered my two army commanders, Abner, son of Ner, and Amasah, son of Jether. He pretended that it was an act of war, but it was done in a time of peace, staining his belt and sandals with innocent blood. Do with him what you think best, but don't let him grow old and go to his grave in peace. Wow. That's what David says to Solomon. And he says, you know what he did to me? You know what he did? Don't let him move to Florida and get a golf cart. Don't let him do that. That's what he's saying. Make sure you take care of him. And, and, and David says, you're wise, Solomon. You'll know what to do. You'll figure it out. And sure enough, when you keep reading this, Solomon eventually kills Joab in 1 Kings chapter 2. It says, verse 32 says, the Lord will repay him for the murders of the two men who were more righteous and better than he. For my father knew nothing about the deaths of Abner, son of Ner, commander of the army of Israel, and Amasah, son of Jether, commander of the army of Judah. May their blood be on Joab and his descendants forever. And may the Lord grant peace forever to David, his descendants and his dynasty and his throne. So Benina, that's the next uh, warrior that surfaces, son of Jehoiada, returned to the sacred tent and killed Joab, and he was buried at his home in the wilderness. That's the story of Joab. When I look at Joab, and you see he has these two sides to him. He knows how to play church, but he also, he knows how to kill. He knows how to, he knows how to lie. He knows how to shade the truth. You know, there's certain people that are like that. You know what I'm talking about? They don't completely tell a lie, but they withhold certain information, right? I'm not lying. I'm just withholding certain information. And they reason within themselves and say, there's nothing wrong with that. There's certain people that, uh, that, that have the capacity to do things that they know are not God honoring. And I want to say to you, live a life of complete obedience to God. God loves you so much and he has a plan for you and he cares about you and he wants all of you. Joab ultimately self-destructed. Ultimately, that's what he did. And it was at the hand of Solomon. Solomon, and Solomon was, was tasked by David, take care of him because he has done unrighteous things. It's interesting, David wasn't able to take care of Joab, but he sent his son to take care of Joab. He tolerated Joab. And when you look at all of the 40 years of David's reign, you see these incredible victories. And Joab really does deserve a lot of credit for those victories. He was the commander, but he was also the guy that David didn't completely trust because David knew who he was. So don't be a Joab. I want to give you an opportunity to turn to Jesus Christ. That's the first step. If you want to have a better life, it starts with your relationship with Jesus. If you want to have a better marriage, a better home, if you want to know God's purpose for your life, it starts with your relationship with Jesus Christ. There is no other person, there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. 
He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, right? The same yesterday, today, and forever. It's Jesus. And you can know Jesus. Jesus wants you to live a life of complete integrity. He wants you to love people like he loves people and love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. So the first step is to turn to Jesus. Others of you, you might have a little Joab inside of you. You know what I'm talking about? You have a little bit of Joab inside of you, and you know how to get things done. And you know how to skim off a little bit and you know how to shade off a little bit and you know how to, how to you know, bend the rules and take advantage of the system or whatever it might be. I want you to know God sees all that. Tax season is coming up. You know, some people, that's a real time of a, a test of integrity during tax season. And what do you do? But I want to encourage you to live a life of complete integrity before God. Let's pray. God, thank you for your grace. If you're ready to ask Jesus into your life, would you say this prayer? Say, Jesus, I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me for my sins. I give you all of my life, all of it. I turn to you, Jesus, and as best as I know how, right now I've become, I choose to become a Christian. Others of you might need to say this, God, I need you to help me. I've got some Joab inside of me. <laughs> I, I want to repent of that. I want to turn to you with all of my heart. I don't want to live a shady life, God. I want to live a life that honors you. I don't want to use people. I want to love people. So God, help me to do that, God. Help me to love people as you have loved me. Thank you, God, for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for being Lord of Thorn Creek Church. Thank you, God, for your provision watching over us. And I want to thank you, God, also for those who are about to give their tithes and offerings here in just a little bit. Bless those who are honoring you with their finances, God. Would you show them that you are the God who provides? I want to pray for our marriages, Lord. I pray that they get stronger. And I pray for our young adults, men, women. I pray that you continue to work in their heart and give them the desires of their heart, Lord, and watch over their days. Thank you, Jesus, for your great love for us. It's in your name we pray. In your name, amen.